there were 10 of them and they walked together ringing little bells. Wherever they went by law, they were required to ring those little bells, to let everybody stay away because they all had leprosy. Terminal disease at that time knew no cure. Debilitating disease, embarrassing disease. So wherever they went, they would ring those little bells so nobody would come near and, and catch it. They didn't have masks back then. <laughs> and so they went to Jesus because they heard that he healed folk. And Jesus looked at the 10 men, long story short, healed every one of them, 100%. And they went to the priest because the priest was the one who had to affirm that those who were so terminally, deadly ill were now well. And he made that affirmation and they scattered all except one. One of those who'd had leprosy went back to Jesus and said simply, thank you. Thank you. That's such an easy thing to say. But unfortunately, most of us just take Thanksgiving. We clutter up all of our feelings of gratitude for family, for friends, for life, to God. We try to sum it up on one day and say a great big thank you, when that should be the very attitude and posture of your life and my life and your vocabulary and my vocabulary. Simply to express gratitude. How do we get leprosy today? Anybody know in the Western world? In the Western world, it's someone who's come in contact with armadillo. Armadillo. Everybody who's had it, those who've kept records, they've come in contact with armadillo. And that's been the touching point for getting leprosy. But today, leprosy has been cured. When ancient days, there was absolutely no known cure You'll never guess what cures leprosy today. I think there may be only one leprosorium left in all the world that I know of on the island of Molokai. I'm not sure it's still available because everybody who has leprosy is cured. You know what cures leprosy? Sulfur drug. That's something. When I was a boy, they gave sulfur for everything you had. But the common sulfur drug cures leprosy. The bad news is all of us were born with some kind of leprosy, some kind of untouchable sin because all the armadillos that we've encountered, we've made poor choices and made poor decisions. But thank God we can all say because of the sulfur of Jesus Christ, we have been healed and forgiven, and we can say, Amen. 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 
Now we've got a lot to be thankful for. A lot to be thankful for when the sun is shining and all the reports are beautiful and great and affirming and everything's going just outstanding. And we want to sing with Louis Armstrong, it's a wonderful world. A lot to be thankful for. When the bottom falls out of your life, there in that extreme moment, which is always God's opportunity. Your extremity and my extremity is always God's opportunity. I pray better in the foxholes of life than I do when the sun is shining. All of us do. Today, we're going to walk inside the life of a family who discovered what it means to be bottomed out. I want you to meet the Miller family. I think eyes tell you a lot about a person. And when I looked into her eyes and she spoke to me, I knew it was genuine. I knew it was real. And looking in those eyes, it was like, she's the one for sure. My wife and I now have eight children. We have six girls and we have two boys and family time is good time. Kids have gotten up, we typically roll around here around 6 a.m. And kids have gotten up, everybody's getting rolling and moving. Everybody has a job, everybody has a partner with the eight kids. They all take care of that partner. Lunchtime came around and Marissa and I still, you know, try to date at lunchtime. I called her several times, I texted her several times, uh, like, hey, you know, what's, what's up for lunch? One of my daughters had sent me a text saying, hey dad, I see on the group text, the family text, that you're trying to text mom. Hey, her phone's not been acting right, is what she told me. And I was like, okay, so maybe that's the reason mom hadn't responded back. About as the time the kids start getting home. So around here, um, all of the kids have the Live 360, you know, so our phones will start dinging and you'll start seeing kids show up to the house. And I was recognizing kids were showing up. That was teasing on the text group, just laughing about mom's phone and, you know, with the kids. Well, Marissa was in all those texts with it being the family text group. So she was getting all of those texts. Well, as the kids started getting home, I got this phone call from Emma. Uh, she's my senior uh, in high school. And Emma called me and she said, Dad, something's wrong with mom. She's on the ground in the bathroom. Dad, she's not talking. Dad, she's mumbling. Dad, she's only grunting. She's just laying on the floor in the bathroom. Okay, tell me exactly what happened. Uh, don't know. My kids just got home from school. It looked like my wife was getting into the shower and she fell and hit her head, but she's just sitting here, laying here on the ground. No, okay. she got a towel over her, but look, she's just shaking. Her hands and feet are purple. Are you with her now? Yes, I'm with her right now. I can hear I can hear the ambulance, so they're close. They're fixing to pull into your subdivision. Okay, yes, sir. Do you want to please help her? Look, she's she walk her protect her mind and her body. Or keep her safe and just And I walked in the bedroom and I turned to the bathroom and there was Marissa just laying on the floor. 
just put my hands on her. I can just remember just praying, just quick, short prayers. About that time, fire trucks, ambulances, everything showed up. Emma and Ellie kept popping in the bathroom, and I said, hey, just do what you need to do. Just go breathe. And they sat on the bed in the bedroom. I was very scared because I didn't know what would entail if my mom didn't come back. It was like a, such a shock, like, oh my gosh, like my mom, like this happened to my mom. When I heard the sirens climbing down the street in the ambulance, I knew that something was really wrong. And then when they came out with my mom on the stretcher, it just made me scared and didn't know what was gonna happen next. I knew at that point in time that the time I saw my mom on the bathroom floor was might be the last time I'd ever got to see her and I wouldn't have been able to say goodbye. And uh, her phone, her phone that we had all been calling and texting was right there, looked like she was trying to go for the phone. The phone that we've been texting back and forth, the phone we've been calling was just buzzing the whole time, it was still buzzing even as I was in there. People kept trying to make this private, I didn't want it private. Uh, people kept telling me, saying, hey, we don't want to get this word out. I said, get it out to everyone you possibly can. I don't care who gets this. No matter what, get it out everywhere. All over Facebook, all over texting, get as many people praying. But in doing so, Ellie got the text at school. All of a sudden, I started getting like all these texts that was like, I'm praying for you. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm here for you if you want to talk to me. And I was just started panicking because I had no idea what was happening. And then someone from the church like called me and was like, um, don't panic, but your mom is being rushed to the hospital. And it was really scary because I was like, well, I never even got to say goodbye. So like, what if it was like her last time? My son, Mac, he came in the bathroom, looked at me, saw I looked at him. Marissa's laying on the floor. I'm on a knee just with my hands on her. EMTs are just going at it. And my son, Mac, just puts his hand on me. He's sitting on the bathtub and he, he just looked at my eyes and I looked at his eyes and he just, he just had such a calmness about him, just a peace about him. And the funny thing is that was one of the short prayers was, God, just give peace, give calmness here, give comfort here. When we found her, like, it was obvious she'd been down for a long time, stroke, time is of the essence, so it was definitely a critical call. She was definitely in a bad situation and we needed to get her transported immediately. And the last time and anybody had actually spoken to her or heard her, heard a text message from her had been a few hours, so that was another reason to be concerned. They walked me back in the back, and that's where I entered in trauma room one. Never forget it, trauma room one. I'm seeing your wife on On that hospital bed, when I walked in that room, I just remember, for the first time ever, normally those eyes I talked about earlier, I just remember there was a point where she just like flopped over and her head just flopped over and she just looked at me and she knew I was scared. The doctors were all pretty much in a panic. Uh, quickly the doctor came over to me and says, I need to talk to you. Pulled me out of the room, took me to another room. About five TVs came in on wheels. They had doctors from Woodlands, Memorial City, uh, downtown medical center, all neurosurgeons, all asking me questions about Marissa. 
all trying to determine uh, what needed to happen. They clearly communicated to me that she was having a stroke and it was no small stroke. We use a scale, it's called the NIH stroke scale, and we give points. Zero would be a normal person. Anything 10 or above is a very large stroke and she was a 14. The doctor took me aside when he walked out, when the TVs went away and he said, you need to go have some time with your wife. I walk back into that room. Marissa's not talking. They all backed away from the bed and said, you can have a moment. I went to the bed. I put my hands on her, told her I loved her. And then I just prayed with her real quick. And one of the NICU nurses of Marissa's team came over and she just put her hand on me. She said, it's gonna be okay. God's got this. In this life or the next life, God's got this. Your wife will be healed one way or the other. That was almost like God was speaking through her to encourage me. I know that sounds weird and strange, but I just remember the voice coming out of her. About that time, the, the building began to shake. Life flight was coming to land. They're life flighting Marissa to the med center. Her case was incredibly critical. I remember reading her CT results and we had a grim outlook, um, but we do the best that we can. And I knew that they would too when she got here. Myself and the stroke team, we met her in our ER. And when I first saw her, she'd actually vomited at the other hospital, needed to be intubated. So she was on the ventilator. She, uh, she had the tube down her throat. And it was more after getting the CAT scans and the images that it became really clear that she had a really large blood clot that was blocking the blood flow to one area of her brain and that this needed to be treated emergently. Well, what she had was severe symptoms. So at the time, she was not able to understand. When we asked her to close her eyes or hold up her arm, she couldn't understand that. She was also nearly paralyzed on the right side of her body. And this all makes sense because the location of her stroke was on the left side of her brain. The left side is where almost everyone has their language. So you can imagine a situation where you're, you're paralyzed on one side. Most people are right-handed, so it's the dominant hand that they do everything with. And you're unable to speak or understand. You can imagine how severe of a stroke that could be. I can remember stopping and sitting on the curb, laying back on the curb on the grass, just looking up the stars being like, God, you've got my full attention. What? What? God, I know you're a God of miracles. I, I'm praying for a miracle. I'll be a better man of God. I'll be a better dad. If I'm being completely honest, at that moment, I was like, God, where are you? Where are you? Can you hear me? Answer. Can you hear me? I remember in 1994, my mom passed away from breast cancer. At the same age, that's when my mom passed away from my dad. And I grew up in a family of seven. 
My mom passed away at the same age Marissa was, at 44 years of age, she passed away and she was gone. I saw that, I saw what my dad went through. I, I, I heard my dad audibly crying in his room, missing his wife. I remember as strong and as tough as my dad and I told God, I didn't want that again, I've seen that, I knew that. Though I knew God had a purpose and a reason, I didn't want that for my kids. I, I didn't want my, my young ones. I want Maddox just to remember mom tickling him. So those are the actual prayers that I'm praying for. God, you know what happened. I know, I've seen this before happen, played out before with my dad when, when you took her home for cancer and I don't want that to happen again. I know you got a bigger plan and I know you got a better plan. When I'm begging you, I am begging you. The enemy just seemed to be really pushing me that my daughters were going to be really wounded and hurt by this, walking in on their mom. I was ex expecting the worst, and as I walk in the front door, there's all the family in the room. My dad, there's other church staff that are there, the, the kids there, they're, they're school teachers. I mean, there's just, there's just a groups of people that are here that are just supporting and loving on the family. And probably the thing that brought me the most joy I saw my kids encouraging other people, praying with them. <laughs> Though I had people hugging me and I had people telling me this, my laser focus was to find their eyes. And I saw joy. I saw strength. I saw courage. I saw things in their eyes that I probably wasn't seeing in my eyes at the moment. Phone call comes. It's the neuro upstairs. Mr. Miller, you're not gonna believe this. There are screams of joy upstairs right now. The clot's been busted. And, you know, I'm trying to rationalize what? Who is this? This is the doctor. This is the doctor. Mr. Miller, the, the surgery was successful. The surgery was successful. He said, she's showing movement already. That side that was numb, her hands, her arms, her face is going back into shape. She's trying to talk. He said, Mr. Millie, did you hear me? She is trying to talk. He said, I want you to tell me something if it's true. He said, we heard that your wife had the telephone in the bathroom. And that thing was constantly going off. He said, the doctors down here believe what kept your wife alive that whole time was the phone calls and the texts that kept going under normal circumstances. As long as she was on the floor, she should not have made it. He said, this was a miracle. What happened with your wife was a miracle. Recovery after stroke usually takes some time, depending upon how big the stroke is. In the majority of people, we see most of the recovery in the first three months. In her case, what I think was really remarkable is that the, that evening or even the next morning, she had started to communicate. 
Uh, it was remarkable how she went from 24 hours to 48 hours, her ability to understand and then following commands. Even at 24 hours, she was telling me that she's got eight kids, which I was extremely surprised considering how severe it was when she first came in. The next morning when I woke up, phone rang, doctor called. Mr. Miller, this is going to be a tough road. She's going to need you. Your wife's going to need you. Your kids are going to need you. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. If you want to beat me to be on this team, I need to know that you're 100% bought in. Are you 100% bought in on the recovery of your wife? Yes, sir. Uh, he said, Mr. Miller, your wife wants to talk to you. Are you ready to talk to her? And I said, she's ready to talk to me? He said, yes, sir. He said, that nurse or nurses by your wife's bedside never got a break. She kept him up all night long. Her voice was all broken up. I had no idea what she was trying to say. She was trying to communicate as best as she possibly could. And I'm thinking worst case scenario, okay, she's back, but she's not gonna be back like she was before. And the doctor told me when, before she called that she may wanna to talk to one of the kids and it's not what you want, Matt, it's what she wants. And Ellie, who had been at soccer practice and wasn't able to be here through all that, and she kinda had a little void there. Everyone else got to at least be here and see her and pray on that and she had a little void. We wanted her to talk first. And I gave the phone to Ellie. And I said, Ellie, it's mom. And same thing. Marissa started talking. It wasn't the same. And Ellie just lost it. I took the phone and I started talking to Marissa. And I was like, hey, babe, I'm, she's okay. Uh, she's like, you know, I could tell Marissa couldn't really co communicate. And I was like, oh, Ellie's okay. She's this and that. And next thing I see, another phone call coming to the other line. Sure enough, the doctor. I clicked over and he goes, are you lying? Is Ellie okay? Because it sounds like you took the phone out of her hand and now you're telling your wife something that's not true. Matt, I'm gonna be as clear as I can be. Your wife needs honesty, your kids need honesty. Your wife needs to deal with the emotions. She needs to hear your tears, which by the way, Matt, I haven't heard you share any emotion with her yet. Matt, she needs to hear your fears. She needs to hear that you're scared. She needs to hear that you love her, and she needs to hear your emotion. Stop hiding that from her. You're not protecting her, and matter of fact, you're preventing her from healing. Gave the phone back to Ellie. Ellie cried and stumbled through her words, and Marissa and her talked. Emma talked to her. Alyssa. You go through the Miller family, it's a good long conversation. And I said to her, I said, I said, Marissa, I love you, but I'm scared. And I could tell she was trying to cry, but I couldn't tell what was going on. I was like, Marissa, are you there? And I said, I said, if you can hear me. And I just began to pour my heart out to her. And we, neither one of us wanted to break away. And uh, for that moment, I'll never forget it. She gets off the elevator and she just comes down and I leaned over my brother and I said, hey, I guess you're my best man. And he goes, what are you talking about? I was like, here she comes, man. <laughs> and he's like, look at your bride, look at your bride.
truly believe that it was a miracle that I'm here today. And not only here today, but here with, with little to no effect from my stroke. I think it's definitely made me a better mom and better wife. And I, I don't want to take anything for granted. Time with my kids, time with my husband, time with my family. Just spending time with the Lord, thanking Him, um, thanking Him for how He orchestrated the whole thing, how people were put where they needed to be at the right time. All the doctors said like she was supposed to die, and she did it, and she recovered in f five days. It was overwhelming, but it was an overwhelming sense of peace and answered prayer, and she was a walking miracle. I think what I learned through this experience was not just to say the words I love you, but why I love you. And I think that was the vulnerable thing for me where I got really good at and sincere at looking her in the eyes and saying, hey, Maris, babe, I love you. But I think the thing that she always longs for back is why. And because wasn't good enough. The thank you and I love you changed for the Lord too. You know, it's easy for me to say thank you in passing or I love you in passing or I love the Lord. But the, that voice of right inside of me, which I know is the Holy Spirit, asked the same question. Why do you love me? How do you love me? And without a doubt, he deserves that. It's changed our parenting too. My 17-year-old daughter and my six-year-old son, they also need to know why dad and mom love them. For my girls to hear me say, hey, you were strong when I was weak. Dad's known as being the strong one. Dad's known as being the one that fixes things or lifts things or opens cans and jars. But for me to go back to my kids and say thank you for being strong, it grew us. They led during a time that I was really just kind of numb. There's no doubt that faith was challenged. And I, I, I think it was challenged in all the right ways. The bottom line is it's stronger. And it's not just stronger for me, it's stronger to be able to share with others. There's a real excitement to share what he's done. I don't think we'd want to change it. I, I, I think initially we would say we wish it never would have happened. I think we'll be thankful that it did happen. Marissa and I are closer. Our kids are closer. In my mind, he has made the gift just even better, and only God can do that. I want you to meet the Miller family, if you would. Marissa. Marissa is back where she's been for a number of years as a nurse at Memorial Hermann Hospital. And she's back fully at work, which in and of itself is a second miracle. 
If you thought you had an okay, great Thanksgiving, we can't compare with this tremendous family. Thank you for letting us walk inside your life. Did you notice something we hear so often we may miss it? In and through all of this, it was that personal relationship with Jesus Christ that got them through. Healing in this life, healing in the next life, it gets us through. If you don't know Jesus Christ personally as a friend, don't let this Thanksgiving season pass before. Right now, this place, what a better time. These two have opened up their hearts and lives to us, this whole family has. Now, what God may ask somebody here to do is open up your heart and life to him. Confess sin, turn from sin, and receive him and say, Lord, from here on, I want you to run my life. I've run my own life long enough. Do you need to do that this Thanksgiving? If so, we're going to sing in a minute, and I want no one to move except those who are making their way down front and say, I want that kind of personal relationship with Christ. It's available. If you want it, make it public today. If you're a Christian, just think what was said here. The church, the family, friends, brothers and sisters rallied around this family how we all need that. Sometimes we're able to serve one another. Sometimes you and I need to be served. We need to be available to that. That's what the body of Christ, the koinonia, the fellowship, the church is all about. This may be your time, this Thanksgiving, to say, I want this church family, I'm a Christian, to be my second family. I need to come into the life of the church today. As the Lord speaks to your heart, as we all stand and sing a great, great chorus, holy, 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 maybe this is the time you can get out of the balcony, make your way down those steps, downstairs, front, and stand right in front of me and say, I'm coming home to God. I'm coming home to Christ. I'm coming home to life in this church. As he leads, no one moves except those who are coming into this, his family as we sing as the Lord leads you come holy holy
welcome these who've come into our family today. As they move out this way, let's pray for these. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these whom you've led to be a part of this, your family, as we join hands and hearts with these to make a difference in the 21st century. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Remain standing for a moment. Angel of Light deliveries will begin tomorrow. We still need NEW toys and groceries. We're short. Bring groceries to the yellow bins and to the toys in the atrium. Yellow bins outside, toys in the atrium. We're going to feed and have Christmas for about 10 or 12,000 families. We do it every year. So we're still correct collecting these things. If you haven't joined in, I know you'll want to do that. Christmas at second. My goodness, we have so many things going on. Trains and story times for kids. The light has come, musical production. Saturday, December the 18th at 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sunday. And then on the 18th and 19th at our regular worship services. Six o'clock on Saturday, 9.30, So. Make sure you're a part of the great celebration of music. The choir and dozens and hundreds of others have been joining them, and we're going to have a great celebration of Christmas. Remember, it's the best time to bring people who normally don't darken the doors of a church. All the Christmas people will show up. You bring them this musical, and they'll realize, man, I've never been a part of church. I've never felt a celebration of Christmas like this before. That's a wonderful time of outreach for us. Christmas Eve candlelight services, we have 10,000 of them in all of our campuses. We have a Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve Eve, which is Thursday, then a whole bunch the next day on Christmas Eve. So make sure that you look at the schedule and you'll be here as we see thousands of candles and we see really the celebration of the birthday of that unspeakable gift which is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Each weekend in December will be a beautiful time of Christmas worship. Nail it down. We're going to have spectacular music as we did today. Amen? Amen. Go to our red door, my left, your right. It's already been mentioned by Kyle. If you have any question about the life of our church, to come into the family of the church, you can do that right over here following our benediction. Millers, what can we say? What a fabulous family. My, 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 my. You've taught us a lot. And I discovered something today that I should have known. And I said, how in the world can you imagine this many children? And we've got another great family over here. That we're in. They have even 10 children. And you see that they help each other. I couldn't get three boys up on Sunday morning. And my goodness, how you have mastered that. Praise be to God for sharing your witness with us today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do love you. We don't give lip service to that, but may our love for you be demonstrated with how we live, how we move, how we speak, how we give, where we go, how we act. Lord, may we do it filled with your spirit, equipped to be your light, light. Lord, we look at this broken world, we say, oh, the world needs this and this and this, but Lord, 
nothing more than the light that comes from each of our lives as we live and walk with your son, Jesus Christ. In his name of thanksgiving, we pray.